A Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. of the Wellness Collective and more opportunity to discover things about stuff that you know <laughs> about bits. <laughs> hey, um, this is one that you have covered off in some other avenues of late, but it's topical. And so we thought what we'd do is actually do an episode about it and get our wonderful friend, Dr. Sean. Our resident gynecologist. From across the, the waves, the Pacific. Across the, the bath. Across the bath, yeah. We thought we'd get him as our expert today. So between you and him and, well, I'm not quite sure what I'll contribute, but we'll see how we go. We are going to cover off this idea of women in their 40s doing IVF and having a greater risk of breast cancer. Well, we wanna, that's yes. what happened in the, the news recently, didn't it? There was recently, there was some new research that did come out and a lot of people freaked out. And so Sean and I decided to get on a couple of webinars to talk about it because, mm. you know, people were commenting at least on my Instagram saying things like, oh, as if it's not hard enough to have infertility or, you know, do you know how this makes me feel? And, and Sean and I were very keen to talk about it in a positive way. It's like almost to say, what did you say, Sean? You were like, don't freak out. Well, I said, uh, I think a couple of women were on there were uh, were upset because I think one of them was pregnant. And the point was, you know what? Just be excited that you're pregnant. The, the risks that are being described here aren't anything that we probably didn't already know. Mm. It's just, um, it comes out in a study and all of a sudden it gets into the public kind of awareness and people start to freak out. But I would say more than anything, if you if you have had IVF and you got pregnant, be excited about that. Don't worry about this. Mm. What were the actual statistics that were mentioned in the study? Oh, that's a good question. Well, this, first of all, it was like 600,000 women that had been looked at. And so it's a pretty powerful number. Um, but what it really found was that it was women more in their 40s that really had this increased risk. And it just comes down to the fact that it's statistically significant in the sense that it, you know, it it had uh, enough of the women that had breast cancer taking into consideration all other factors like genetics and drinking and weight and and things like that. So it wasn't women in their thirties or twenties. It was women mostly in their forties. And the thought was that it was the increased amount of estrogen that women were making when they were going through these IVF cycles and it was probably higher than normal. And the thing is, and Nat and I talked about this before, the problem is you're not just doing one month usually of IVF. You're probably doing multiple cycles over a year or two years, some women five, six years, you know, they're doing it a lot. And so it's probably the cumulative effect, not just like once or a few cycles. Mm, Definitely. I think the other issue is that often we need IVF because there is already some type of hormone imbalance. And then when you add to it the protocol of drugs that women need to um, subscribe to when they're actually going through the process, only further can um, impact their hormones. So this for me, it always comes back to how can we put you as your best version of yourself before you were to go through that so Mm. that you can actually... um, a, not mean, 
not need as many um, egg collections or transfers, but also put yourself in the best position for conception. So I think that often gets dismissed because we look at IVF as, you know, IVF's amazing to isolate your reproductive organs, but that's what it does. It doesn't take into consideration your liver or your gut or, you know, any other um, Mm. system in your body. It's just isolating that. So, For me, I'm always about putting people in the best position. And then also something that Dr. Sean and I talk a lot about is knowing exactly what's going on for you. So, you know, testing and understanding your body so that you can then use that information again, to put yourself in a better position. We're also so lucky nowadays that Sean is a a big fan of of Dutch testing and using testing to actually understand what's going on fundamentally for you, which can also make a really big difference to use that information so that you can steer your body in a better direction. Not just having a stab in the dark. Literally. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was going to say something, uh, piggyback on something you said was that you know, 15% of couples uh, that have infertility just have unexplained infertility and no matter what you do. And and the, the point is, I don't think we're trying to scare people out of it. I think IVF is, while it's it's very sterile and it does, it, but it does what it needs to do. And if you need that, then that's what you need. And I just think it's good for women to have as much information as they can. And to, and I think you were talking about this and, and we talk about it. You don't, we used to tell women all the time about the increased rates of uh, ovarian cancer with in vitro because you're hyperstimulating the ovaries. So we, we know that there are risks with IVF, um, but you know, the, the desire to have a child is usually much higher than the small risk that you might develop something, you know, serious. And I think that that's a decision that people need to make and without judgment, it's just, here's as much information as you can get. I'd like to go back to your idea that you had before about being, you know, focusing on the fact that you're pregnant rather than what might happen afterwards. I think Mm -hmm. this idea that our mind is so powerful is something that doesn't get tapped into quite enough. I mean, we're talking a lot about gratitude and all that kind of stuff as well. But I I think really if, if you can have those little reminders along the way, it is incredibly powerful, isn't it? Well, I think with IVF and some of the, the the comments that we saw on one of Matt's posts, not that they were negative, they were concerned women who were just thinking that they had issues where they they felt bad, like they were being given this bundle of information, and that's scary, and that can affect the mind, right? That's a we would call that a nocebo effect, where you you instead of doing placebo, which would be positive, you have this negativity that that creeps in. And, and it does, it adds stress. But I think that what, what it can also do is that knowledge can be liberating and can be more um, mind opening in the sense that you just have more, you want as much information as you can get. But certainly in IVF, I, how many times have you heard a story where a couple goes through multiple cycles of IVF for years and then they give up and they're going to go do adoption and then all of a sudden they're pregnant? Mm. I mean, it's like, it's that surrender, I think, for a lot of these, you know, it's, 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 I would not pretend to know what it's about because I have four kids, but um, uh, that in and of itself will drive you insane, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, that is true. But, but um, it's stressful to begin with going through IVF, let alone having to worry about all these, you know, other ramifications. But the point is, we're just trying to tell you there's a small risk, but it's not, I don't think, so high that I wouldn't do IVF. I think also what's important to understand is that some women are going to be more at risk than others 
and that we can, again, be testing for this beforehand to understand and then support their body better through the process. And I, I imagine that as we continue to advance in these areas that that will happen more and more. You know, you and I would use something like a Dutch test and you can talk a little bit more about why that would be important. But having that information beforehand is very different than going in and then finding out 15 years later that you are not actually, you know, you are in an, a, a category that would be considered more risk. It doesn't mean, again, that you're going to develop that. You what know. would it be that would make you more at risk? Sean, do you want to talk about that? Well, other than the obvious things like uh, genetics and diet and, you know, drinking alcohol, um, the the problem, the, the thing about estrogen, the increased amount of estrogen in your body is the detoxification, like how do you get rid of your estrogen in your body? Because too much estrogen for a woman is 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 a problem. It can cause uterine cancer. Estrogen in and of itself doesn't cause cancer. If it did, every woman would get cancer. Mm. Um, but the way you detoxify your estrogen, so um, one of the first stages of estrogen detoxification is changing it into uh, something that's easily eliminated. And there's three different ways your body can break that down. And to make it simplified, one of the pathways is cancer protective, we think. And so uh, the way to, you would obviously want to, if you had high estrogen, you'd want to eliminate it through a cancer protective pathway, which would involve using things like methane, which is uh, DIM, um, which is what's in cruciferous vegetables uh, to help you push it in that direction or uh, taking a methylated, pre-methylated B vitamin um, or some women just genetically will move things more towards the uh, cancer-forming type of estrogens. And if you are in that group, you'd want to know, which is why a Dutch, Dutch test or something along those lines would be great because you can be a little more proactive. Can I ask you about that? So are you saying yeah. to me that if you've got too much estrogen in your body and you're talking about synthetic estrogens as well or, you know, the, the uh, ones bio, that mimic? Any, uh, bioidentical estrogen. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying if you take the B vitamin or you eat the vegetables that can help to, if, if you're that way inclined and your body's not going to try and keep a hold of them, how do you, you just weigh them out? It, like it is this does this like no, work as well, like so, a bit of a thing that actually like removes it from your body how does it actually work so uh, well what it does is it, it changes it into a, a metabolite so estrone one of the three estrogens breaks down into these three types of uh, methoxy estrogens and it's all biochemical and i got a c in biochemistry so i'm not gonna <laughs> that's okay that. yeah but but you want to push it towards the two methoxy estrone and the best way to do that, if you have a higher level of DIM or uh, you know methylated B vitamins, it will help your body detoxify that estrogen. And then you actually eliminate it through the intestine. So when you, what happens is you have fiber in your digestive tract. Fiber holds on to estrogen. But you have this fancy little enzyme called glucuronidase in your GI tract. And what glucuronidase does is it cleaves off, just it cleaves off the estrogen and lets it go back in the bloodstream. Wow. So one, you want to increase your fiber intake so you can pull some of that estrogen into the, the GI tract, but you want to break, you want to stop that enzyme, that glucuronidase. And there's actually a supplement you can buy called deglucurate, which will do that. So women that have high estrogen, we try to help them eliminate that estrogen by uh, taking things like DIM to push it in that more positive direction, increase fiber intake, taking a supplement like uh, deglucurate and things like that, that will help you eliminate it through your intestinal tract. 
Incredible. Now, I had a conversation with my doctor probably last year about this and working out your hormone levels and stuff. And she said, not much point in doing a test because they fluctuate and change on a daily basis. But you're saying this Dutch test is something completely different that would be able to assess that because I thought, oh, well, surely if you've got an ongoing thing that it might be useful. But no, she didn't seem to be so too that, concerned. that logic doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, I think if you, know, if you know where the patient is in her cycle, then you kind of have an idea of where her hormones should be. Um, so to just say, oh, they fluctuate, I'm never going to draw them. I don't. So we wait until you're dead. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't quite understand that. And then you but, missed your opportunity to figure it out. Yeah. I think, no, oh, but I think it's she's common. Dead. Let's draw her hormones. Oh, there's zero. <laughs> I think that's common to, for though. I think the problem is that your, your GP is probably performing a job that maybe your gynecologist should be performing. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's well, it. Yeah. A lot of GYNs are that way too, though, because hormones are complicated, as you're all aware. It's not, you know, you're talking to a doctor that's, you know, got 20 pregnant women waiting in the waiting room and somebody that's pushing and a C-section at 12. The, the last thing they have time for is to really go in depth with the intricacies of hormone balance. And so um, you just want to see somebody that does it, I think, for a living. Hmm. I think that this is why the difference between, you know, finding someone that you actually resonate with hmm. is really important. Hey, good time to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. We are here talking with, can we call him our resident gynecologist? Yeah, I think Dr. so. Dr. Sean, he's back. We're talking about, first of all, we started off talking about the um, latest research linking IVF and breast cancer for women over 40. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about, if we're talking about IVF and obviously the drugs involved linking this, is this the same then or can we start to think about how the pill or other synthetic um, hormones might have the same impact? Well, it's interesting because the medications you're giving a woman, you might give her estradiol, but a lot of that are things like metrodin, pergonol, those uh, follicular stimulating hormone mimicking agents. And what you're doing is you're, you're giving the woman the opportunity through chemical stimulation to make more of her own endogenous estrogen. So technically it would be bioidentical. Um, birth control pills, as you know, are synthetics. The, the thing about birth control pills that is interesting is that they're neuroendocrine mimicking devices and they lock onto those estrogen receptors, but they lock on a lot harder. So they exert a more powerful effect on an estrogen receptor. So while you, uh, it, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges in one sense, but I think that birth control pills are stronger uh, overall than bioidentical hormones because of the way that they lock on to the to the receptor and they, they, because they don't exactly fit receptor, they might have a different effect on that receptor. And so uh, that's where the problems come in. And, but we know that women that take birth control pills have, they have an increased risk of breast cancer, but they also have a decreased risk of ovarian cancer. So, you know, is that uh, because their ovaries have had a big rest for a long time? Yes. And <laughs> shut exactly. down, they're not doing that's, anything. That's just, why, just sitting that's there on exactly sabbatical. Why, Pregnancy and breastfeeding also decrease breast cancer rates for the same reason. Hmm. I think that's it's amazing. I know. But I think also what's important, and we did discuss this on our webinar and I want to talk about it here, is the amount of women that are in their late 40s that are still on birth control. Is this a problem? Is that just habit? 
Well, it's habit, but well, should I they guess be on if, it? They, if, if they're actually taking the birth control pill because they are using it for birth control, uh, it's a problem only because their partner won't get a damn vasectomy. But this is common. Can we just have a conversation about that for a second? No, no. I have had this conversation with several people this week for whatever reason. I don't know. There are so like talking about vasectomies. Yeah, let's talk about this. Well, there are so many women I speak to whose partners will not get a vasectomy. Okay, so that's a bigger conversation about the fact that a lot of men, and I don't know if it's an Australian thing or if it's a worldwide thing. I think a lot of men are not prepared to actually look at what's going on with their health. I don't think it's got think anything we, to do with health. Just, I think we just no. uh, Cecilia get fired up. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that, that vasectomies have got up. anything to do with their health. Absolutely it does. Really? I mean, how? Well, it means you have to then uh, engage with a doctor. So apart from the birth control and the lifestyle association with it, there's a whole thing of it, it involves going to see a doctor, which then might lead to you have to have your blood pressure taken and all those things. So, you know, it's opening the door to your actual health. And I think oh, a lot I don't of men think that's are the reason really... why they don't want to do it. I think it's to do with their manlyhood and the fact oh, really? that, yes, we were having this conversation at oh, the, an event on okay. whatever night I was at an event this week and saying, you know, the majority of women in the conversation were saying their part, it's not even open for discussion, mm. that their partners would not consider it. Um, and we were talking about this because one of my girlfriends has four children and yeah, she was like, you I'm, are, you, I'm done and you are going. Mm. And he's like, okay then, because... Can I say, I actually met a woman last year who has four children. She had three children and then had that conversation with her husband and said, right, that's it, shop's closed, you need to go and have a vasectomy. He went and had a vasectomy and then she changed her mind and got him to go and... Happens. Uh, the, well, what? we got a right to be able to say what we want when we want. Quite extreme. I'm like, but anyway, yeah. sure. Oh, good on you. I kind of feel like maybe she liked the idea of him getting his like uh, testicles cut on a couple times. Yeah, maybe it was that whole I've been there, so you know you need to do your part in it. Well, oh, let's put it back together. Oh, let's stop it again. <laughs> right. let's put it back together. <laughs> like, How many times is he going to do it? Let's put let's a bit see. of blue tack. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. No, but I think it's an interesting conversation, truly. And I wonder how many we would love to hear from any listeners that can speak to this because yeah. I think the majority actually either put it off mm. or actually refuse to do it. I think it also comes down to the idea that probably for most of your life, reproductive life as a woman, the birth control situation falls on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. It really does. Mm -hmm. It's the woman's job to make sure that that is under control because ultimately if you fall pregnant, it's you as the woman who has to deal with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think so. That's probably a lot of work. But what's interesting is that our fertility declines. Men can keep on having babies for years. (laughs) So really they need to take some responsibility because it's their, their problem at that point. If, if they can keep on having the kids and we can't, Mm. I think it's their problem. Yeah. Not that I've got a solution, but anyway. I did hear about a, um, a chemical, chemically induced vasectomy for men that uh, had come around. What do you mean? Like one that you, you could, it's it reversible quite easily. So uh, it was just recently, oh, I wish I had done some research before we started talking about this, but it was really interesting because it changed the way you started to think about it and they were talking about for teenage boys, it was actually like a blocker. So it wasn't oh, yes, a, a this, hormonal yes. thing. It wasn't going to affect their hormones in any way. Uh, but they were saying for teenage boys it might be a thing that you could do so that you don't end up with any pregnancy. And oh, they're like, but what about just teaching them the right thing to do? How about we go along that line too? Wow. So women on birth control in their late 40s, early 50s, I mean, at what point, at some point they have to make the decision to stop. 
Would you just stay on um, that for the rest of your life? Like, I just find it hilarious. I, yeah, I think some women just go in for their annual exam and the doctor just refills the birth control pills and doesn't really talk to them um, to the extent of the risks. Right. So, but then if they're not transitioning, th- we're stopping them from transitioning through menopause to a yeah, degree. What happens? Does, do you go off they it don't. and then all of a sudden you just bang into menopause? Yes. Well, if you like, I had a lady uh, a month ago that was 54 that was still on birth control pills. Wow. And, and she's like, oh, I'm not in menopause. And I'm like, yeah, you probably are. You just don't know you are. And she's like, well, what do I do? And I said, well, we stop your birth control pills. And it took her about probably two to three weeks, uh, two weeks. I saw her last month. So uh, for it to kind of wash out of her system and then just kind of slowly, it wasn't like gangbusters. She started, you know, having hot flashes and, and, um, and then she was like, okay, yeah, now I'll start on the regular hormones. Um, I've often seen that hormones, uh, birth control pills are about seven times the strength of what we would use for hormone replacement. Um, so it's much safer to be on hormone replacement than a birth control pill. Can we talk about hormone replacement therapy? Because uh, I, again, had a conversation with a doctor a little while ago and she was of the mindset that it was that the there was no discussion about it. If you were entering menopause, you had to go on to HRT. And I was like, really? And she said, yes, because menopause, remember I told you this, menopause is unnatural, she said to me. <laughs> and I was like, really? Do you, are you really saying that? Because I thought that was just part of being a woman and when you are ready to stop being of a reproductive age, then that's what happens. But no, apparently she said no. In the olden days, people would have died before they got to menopause, so it's actually unnatural that we go through it. And I was like, wow, okay. Ask Sean what he thinks. Thanks. So under, under that logic, we should kill people before they go into <laughs> menopause. Yeah, well, there you go. That was her logic. But I, so so I, I, what she's saying, I think it's a little confusing, but it's so, yeah, we didn't live into menopause. Women would die, you know, most people would die in their late 40s, but now we are. It's like saying, oh, we didn't have TVs 30 years ago. Well, okay, well, you watch TV now. Or so we didn't have as much menopause as we did before, but the point is women are now living healthy into their eighties, nineties. And so are you going to live 40 years of your life uh, without the hormones that you normally would have had while you were reproductive age and just be completely miserable and have fragile bones and a cholesterol panel that is, you know, not as good as it could be with estrogen or uh, have the brain fog. And I, I just don't think that, um, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't you want to hormones are, they're healthy, but I also think it's, it's, uh, for women, it's, it's a uh, quality of life, you know? Mm, absolutely. So you're saying that, yes, once you go through menopause, you should be on HRT. Well, it, if you don't have any symptoms of menopause at all, would I recommend HRT? No, I would probably say if you don't need it, don't use them because there is a small risk of cancer and things like that. And we can do bone density scans every couple of years to make sure you're not getting osteoporosis. And then if you got something, we could, we could try to change things around, but most women will have some symptoms. And, and the thing, the, the, the underlying question there too is, let's say you start home replacement. Do you need to be on it forever? No. I mean, you might use it for a few years, you know, through your mid fifties and then maybe wean off of it. So I don't think women necessarily need it forever. Some, some need it longer than others, but it's a transition. I would say that in clinic for me, women's symptoms through menopause are definitely in proportion to their stress. 
So the more stressed someone is, the the worse their symptoms are. Um, And so uh, when we are treating them, if I can treat that piece of it, then often they'll come back and report that their symptoms are like severely reduced. So they'll be comfortable enough to transition through menopause without using synthetic hormones. Because there's a lot of people that don't want to use synthetic hormones. It's very interesting. So let's go back to this idea of women taking the pill right through until their 50s. Um, when we talked to Lara Bryden, she brought up this idea that once you start taking the uh, the pill like as a teenager, then your the brain development and bone development and the, the stuff that the hormones do in your body ceases to happen. So is that an issue too then for women that are approaching menopause? Like should is is that something that they should actually be thinking about? Well, I think what she's probably making reference to is that the birth control pills shut your ovaries off. So mm-hmm. she's probably saying that she thinks that that happens because of you have, in the beginning, you have this deprivation of your endogenous hormones. But remember earlier, I said that the hormones actually have the ability to activate those receptors and they might actually activate it a little bit stronger. So I mean, I can't tell you how many young girls I put on birth control pills in the past who had severe breast stimulation Um, with what Laura was saying that shouldn't happen because they're not getting the stimulation and development that they would because they're on birth control pills. But I think birth control pills could even do it to a tenfold, you know, manner, which is then what you're getting at, which is what then you're getting at is that, okay, a woman close to menopause, why on earth would we want to stimulate her? you know, seven times more or whatever than um, what normal hormones are going to be doing. So you're kind of, you're kind of in agreement that, um, that the, it's not that they're, they're not letting you develop. I think they're causing you, they're overstimulating. I think what she was talking to was shutting down the, the oat axis and then firing it back up when they came off the pill. Um, So the communication between your ovaries and your adrenals and your thyroid, shutting that down and then firing Mm -hmm. that back up again and it having to kind of catch up. No, well, it it kind of starting off where, starting again where it left off. Does that make sense? Starting Mm. where you shut down. Well, but most, most women that go on a pill, and I know this is arguable, but if you look at the data, probably resume menses in about three months. So if that's the case and taking a birth control pill isn't, you may disagree with me. It's not going to shut down your adrenal function because it's, it's only suppressing your FSH and LH. It's not suppressing, you know, your ACTH and TSH and it can affect those, but it's not shutting them off. So I'd be interested you, you to see what the research is with it, all the data and how long, because I only see the women that don't get their periods back. So my... Yeah, you're a bit skewed. I am. I'm like, this is the worst because all these <laughs> women that I see, and I mean, Sean's probably can talk to the fact that he's like, this is the best, all these women that I see. Wow. True? I'm a very simplistic human. And I think, look, That's why we birth like control you. pills. Yeah, but birth control pills have been around for 60 some years. In my 15-year-old, I wanted her on birth control. I didn't want her to get pregnant. I wish I would have known more about what they do, maybe in the sense that, you know, vitamin deficiencies and things like that, and taught her how to eat better and stuff. But but I think it, it's a good thing if you need it. I just think what's happening is women are being prescribed it, knee-jerk reflex for everything from... I actually had a woman who was on birth control because she went in to tell the doctor her hair was not as great as it used to be. She had acne and she had all these things. So they put her on a pill for like five different things. And it's like, it's not like, you know, the pill's going to go check your mail for you. I mean, they, they, <laughs> it's prescribed 
is prescribed for everything. It's it should be a currency. We should make it so birth control pills are worth like fifty cents or something, and then you could you could barter with it. <laughs> New yeah. economy. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, we are almost out of time, but I think the other one thing. Can you give some advice to women who are repeatedly saying they don't feel like they're, I know what you're going to say probably actually now I'm saying this, but that they're not heard by their health professional. How do they ask the right question or what is that question to ask or is it just a matter of finding someone else? I think doctors now are a little bit defensive because of all the information that's on the internet and people that come in with, you know, care plans that haven't even, yeah, and, and I don't know. So what happens is they come in with that and they might, the doctor might actually be defensive in the beginning, and but women in general aren't listened to. And we've talked about this with Esher. We've talked about it with, uh, you know, a lot of women's issues. The, the you know, it's still you know a, a very paternal world that we live in. And I, but I think nowadays there are so many options for physicians that if you ever, if you're told, you know, big, we talk about this all the time. If you're told your hormones are normal, but you feel like caca then that's probably not normal. So don't just take the word of the physician who says everything's fine. You're just getting older. Well, that's crap. I don't like that. <laughs> so because it's not a number like, oh, your blood pressure is 150 over 100. We got to do something about that. You don't feel good. Your hormones are in a normal range maybe, but, but you still don't feel good. You need somebody that's going to dig deeper, that wants to take the time. And, and you'll know that provider because when you leave your, their office, you're going to be like, okay, that, that's, that's what person. I wanted to hear, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are out of time. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Delicious, <laughs> our very as own of resident. Today, as of today, I think I have been the, the, on, on the show the most. I think you have. Yes. Yeah, you have. Thank you. Thank so, you. We're very appreciative. Tony, Anthony Yoon can suck it. <laughs> For those I of you that go back to too. episode one, yes, yes, and yes. we've quoted him. I'm still also. bitter. I'm still. Bitter <laughs> he wanted to be that. number one. <laughs> you are our number one. <laughs> Definitely the number one ticket holder for the Wellness Collective podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> um, everyone can go and find Dr. Sean's quiz. We'll put the um, link in the show notes. Go and do that and find out what type of hormone type you are. I think I had too much testosterone when I did that. I'm the workaholic, so oh, what Lord. else? Lord, can't mm-hmm. be around Cecilia. <laughs> Why? Oh my God, that was loud. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to say goodbye before Cecilia reads her microphone. Thank you. Goodbye. My headphones are low, sorry. Right, well, there, there was go. a lot covered in that one. There was a lot covered that. in that one, but always valuable information, I yeah. think. I think it always comes down to the same old thing, that you really need to work out what's going on with you and yes. don't freak out. Absolutely. Find the people yes. that can help you yes. and you can take it one step at a time. And Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Mm. Wow. Now, before we go, Mm -hmm. if you haven't already downloaded the new app, I think you need to do that. Okay. Podcast One Australia is uh, where you'll find us now. Mm -hmm. It's a groovy new app. It's a groovy new website. And um, there's lots of good things to listen to, but ours is the best. Yes. So make sure you, of course, and make sure you leave (laughs) us a rating and tell us what you love because that makes us very happy. Get in touch and tell us what you've enjoyed and what you would like to hear more of. And also, if you've got a personal story, we love sharing mm. the personal stories of people because actually that's where we grow the most from. It's all great to hear experts, but I love it when you hear people's mm. heartfelt stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Until next time. Okay, yes. I really do hope that this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. Mm.